Hear these words of Paul as he writes to Timothy. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Timothy, my son, I am giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by recalling them you may fight the battle well, holding on to faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and so have suffered shipwreck with regard to their faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to Thanks God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Bill. Shall we pray? Father, this morning, I ask you to fall fresh on our hearts, which needs your encouragement and hearts that are heavy. I pray, Lord, that as we look into your word, that you would speak to us clearly and, directly, and direct us that we may get better understanding for what it means to be a believer in these tough days. Lord, the tough days of these pandemic, of financial problems, of isolation, of youth and children being in school, families struggling with what to do with their children at home and working. I pray each of us will call upon you and rely on you to empower and strengthen us to be what you want us to be. May we be who you created us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, in Apostle Paul's letter to Timothy, he's telling him it's not in his own strength that he is being called, but he has been called to talk to the churches about the, and the Gentiles because there's many things going on with them. He's a servant of the Lord. He's not doing it on his own strength. He has been called to bring the message of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles because there's a lot of things going on Doctrines are being taught. They're not true. They're far from the truth. And he wants the, the churches to get that straight so people will understand that they will come back to the word of God and tell the truth about Jesus Christ. The Jesus Christ that was crucified rose again where we get our salvation, where they got their salvation. The simple story, but not the easy story 
of salvation. He wanted the Gentiles to be told this. This was his calling, and this is what God had told him to do. He was given this task to tell the Gentiles, and he wanted to do this with a pure, clean heart and conscience and with a sincere faith. Now, we're, we're going to learn some things about Paul prior to being called to this. In First Timothy, he tells us about his heart. He says, My heart spills over with thanks to God for the way he continually empowers me and to our Lord Jesus, the anointed one, who found me trustworthy and with authorized me to be his partner in this ministry. In the first service, there were a couple of people that had grown up, doctors, if you will, that were youth in our youth group. And they used to play with things, of all the toys that they had to play with at times. They were little, we called them bean bags, you know, the little pieces with little beans in them, just a couple pieces of material that were torn together. And they would have a target, and they would throw them. They loved to compete trying to hit that target. Well, who would have thought that beanbag toss would have turned into a professional sport for professional teams, which I didn't even know it was called cornholes until someone was telling me about it. And a friend of mine was building a board for that. And I said, what are you talking about? Oh, beanbag toss. Well, maybe not a beanbag toss. That's kind of an old-fashioned term. Same old, same old, though. They just make money with it now. But the idea of the beanbag toss or the cornhole is to hit the target and hit the mark. And who hits the target gets the most points, scores. Paul was telling the church in Timothy at Ephesus to hit the target with accuracy. Because I said some teachers were straying from the word. Some teachers were teaching false doctrine. They were teaching things that weren't really true about the Bible that polluted the gospel and was drawing people away from the truth. And remember, that's all they had this time was the, the word of mouth. And the Gentiles had no background. The Jewish people had a background. But when it came that the Gentiles could have the word of God, it needed to be clear because they didn't have the background. And Paul wanted it to be unpolluted. And he was telling the church of Ephesus to be clear about that. And that he wanted Timothy to do that. To hit the target. The target for which you're aiming. The target you know. Now, Paul was probably the most unlikely person or guy to be picked out to carry the message by God to do it. Have you ever felt that way? Has God ever called you to do something and say, well, not me. Why don't you get somebody else to do it? That, that kind of goes through the Bible's themes and even today with us. I don't know how to do that. Or as I have said sometimes, I don't want to do that. But God calls the most unlikely person to do that as he did with Paul. Why? Because of his past life, he said. But because he was called, Paul was filled with gratitude for the mercy and grace that God had given him in his new life. Now, Paul describes his former life in three negative ways. Number one, as a blasphemer. He rejected Jesus Christ, the Lord. And in chapter 6, Paul is talking about Stephen, the martyr, the, one that, the first martyr that was stoned. 
And they kept trying to get him to renounce his faith, trying to get Stephen to renounce his faith, but he would not do it. As he suffered to death by being stoned to death, and Paul was part of that group. They would go around talking and saying that he blasphemed about this. He blasphemed, and they took his life because of that. But Stephen stood up, but Paul stood proudly as a Jew, thinking he was doing right, that he was doing exactly what God intended him to do. He was a persecutor of the church. He would go about seeing that people were put to death, people were put to prison. He would go from synagogue to synagogue, seeing that people were tried, forcing them to say they had blasphemed, an obsession against them. It was just something that he did. He was obsessed with this because he believed he was right. He believed in his Jewish upbringing. He said, I was violent to the church. Paul, who had a zeal for Jewish tradition, who was educated, was high in the Sanhedrin, the, the law-making group for the Jewish people. He was despised, the Christian church. He was willing to take lives no matter what the cost. He wanted nothing to do with this. Nothing what he considered heathen people. But in spite of Paul's rejection, God showed him mercy and love. Because of his and because of what he was like and the persecution he did, Jesus still crossed that line and gave him mercy and love. As many of you probably know the story on the road to Damascus, a bright shining light came to Paul and he fell to his knees. And he heard a voice say to him, which his name at the time at the time was Saul. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Saul says, Who are you? Who are you, Lord? And Jesus says, I am Jesus, the one that you are persecuting. Now go up into the city and wait for orders to what is to happen. It's a wonderful story that maybe you'll hear later on, but hopefully you'll read in the Bible. See, Jesus had with Paul at that time, or with Saul at that time, a Jesus moment. He came to face to face with Jesus, literally. He had something to do with Jesus. You see, a problem we have as Christians today we know about Jesus, but we really sometimes do not come face to face with Jesus. When we really know Jesus, it changes our life. When we experience Jesus, changes take place when we really experience him. The target of the church ought to be hitting is usually walking with Jesus so much that the world cannot tell the difference. And I know I said this in the last sermon, and if I preach again, I'll probably say it again because it's so applicable to my life. If you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? We don't look any different than the rest of the world, do we? As a rule, we don't drive 
anything much different than the rest of the world. We don't live in a house much different than the rest of the world. So there's got to be something different about us. It's about our attitude, about our love for one another, about our love through Jesus Christ. It's about sharing Jesus Christ with others. Now, not everything is equal. You know, we as Christians, you may, you know, you, you, we, you may never have done it, maybe, but I know I have. You know, we, we really put importance on some of the most things that aren't very, really important. And everything is not equal in Christianity or in the church. Uh, we argue over things that aren't really too important. We keep our mouths shut on things that are. Uh, for me, I can, well, you don't have time to listen to all those silly things that I argue about. But things that, that this has to be neat or that has to be clean, and we'd be sure the office is done this way or whatever. But we forget sometimes our main job is telling other people about Jesus Christ, about the risen Jesus Christ, the Christ that died for us. We are an Easter people, and it hasn't been that long since we have celebrated Easter. But we had Good Friday first, where Jesus died on the cross, and he suffered tremendously before he died. Now, I know you love your spouse, well, most of the time. You love your kids most of the time. We love each other. But we have no idea what real love is when we think about Jesus hanging on the cross, humiliated, hurting in agony because he loved you. He loved me and all those to come for the only way that we could have eternal salvation, for him to give his life for us out of love. And then to rise again. That's our commission. That is our job to tell other people about Jesus Christ. Again, like I said, there were the things being taught in the church that were not true. And Paul wanted to get it straightened out so people would know the truth. You know how they teach a government agent to de detect counterfeit money? I was hoping that Mike Carroll was in the first service. He was not. Maybe some of you know. I did not know. They don't teach them about what counterfeit money, all the counterfeit money looks like. They show them the correct currency, that they know it so well when they see counterfeit, they know it exactly just like that. And that's the way our lives should be. That's the way our story should be, as Paul is telling Timothy to tell the people in Ephesus and the church of Ephesus, for all of us to be strong and tell the story of Jesus Christ as it is to be, that it is to be the true statement, that there is no doubt that it is accurate. Apostle Paul said he was doing things in his own strength and his wisdom to rely on the Lord to direct his path in every area of life. He went from doing his own thing. I'm going to ask you something, and I'm going to ask you to raise your hand on this one. Mine will be the first one to go up. How many of you have tried to do things on your own thing without Jesus asking God to help you? Yeah. One of my favorite things, and I'm ashamed to admit it so many times, is say, hey, God, I've got a great idea. Come on and help me. Instead of saying, God, what do you want me to do? 
But Paul had said, no, what you want me to do, not my life anymore, not my life, but your life. I serve you. What do you want me to do? He went from persecuting Christians to talking to them about Jesus, serving the church and everyone around him. It was not easy for Paul. It was Paul who said, Galatians 5, 1, It is for the freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourself be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. You know, we think sometimes that Christianity has a lot of rules. Boy, the, rule, the world has rules. But we get caught up in those rules of slavery, and we get caught into that of what the world says we do. We get caught up into that. And we get caught up into it financially. We get caught up into that people-pleasing and when we start trying to please the world, that's when we get in trouble. But the more we try to please God and let go of the worldly things, the more, the more we please God, the easier it is to let go of the world. Therefore, he says in Galatians 6.10, therefore, as we have opportunity let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Ephesians 3, 1, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for the sake of you Gentiles. Boy, what 180 did he do? I imagine that that was, people were really talking about Paul. Don't you think so? Paul says, I became a servant of the gospel. A servant. Think of that as a servant. A one that acted so high and mighty, that was so well-educated, was a member of the governing body, the Sanhedrin, became a servant to Jesus Christ and was humbled by him. By the gift of God's grace given me through the working of the power, although I am a less than the least of all of God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. I am less than the least of all God's people. That would be hard to say after all the things he had done. He had recognized in the humbleness. Why did he do that? Ephesians 4.12. To prepare God's people to prepare God's people for service as we are continually to be prepared for service. We are to be imitators of God, of Jesus, beloved children, and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. A, let us read a verse from our text from the Passion that tells us, and this is Timothy, and listen to this from another version, Timothy 1, 13 through 17. Mercy kissed me, even though I used to be a blasphemer, a persecutor of believers, and a scorner of what turned out to be true. I was ignorant 
I didn't know what I was doing. I was flooded with such incredible grace, like a river overflowing its banks, until I was full of faith and love for Jesus, the anointed one. Paul says that God's grace and mercy kissed him and blessed him while he was ignorant and didn't know better. Humble. He had a real encounter with Jesus Christ. Yeah. He was almost blind on the road to Damascus. I'm really glad my experience wasn't like that. It's been scary to me. But what an experience and what a testimony and what love and what mercy. And we talk about hope a lot. And we say things sometimes without e. We just we say things and we mean them, but we say them so often they just become almost ritual with us. But Jesus is our hope. His is the main solution to our problems today. And we have many problems, personal in the world, no matter where they are. Jesus is the hope for humankind. Jesus is the hope for our families. There's so much turmoil in our families today for many, many reasons, because of the pandemic, because of maybe blended families, because of financial, so many things that we have, because of illness, because of death, because of grief. Jesus is the hope for the things that you and I struggle with. And I again would like to see your hand if you don't have any struggles. And I can surely tell you, you won't see mine go up because I struggle with things every day. And I have a feeling that you have your struggles as well. Jesus Christ is the one that helps us with those struggles Things that we need to have and live a godly life. We need God's grace, God's mercy, and God's peace. His grace, and an acronym for that simply is God's riches at Christ's expense. Him giving his life for us. He gave it away for you and me. Willingly. Painfully. Lovingly, God's mercy and God's peace. As in John, it says, not as the world gives, but as he gives. There's nothing like feeling the peace of God Almighty when you close your eyes at night, at the end of a day, to feel his peace. Now, the fruits we bear when we're walking with Jesus we get a purer heart. We have a clean conscience. But we also remember that we have the Holy Spirit as a child of God. It's not a thing. It's a person. It's part of the Trinity. Remember, I believe in God the Father. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It dwells within us. That Spirit, the Holy Spirit, warns us. It protects us. It guides us. We have that power within us if we only ask for that. It's been given to each believer. All of us can remember 
who we were before knowing Christ. Now yours might have been, you may have accepted Christ, you have made your confirmation or maybe brought up in the church and it wasn't very dramatic for you. Or you may have gone away a different path and gone away from Christ being the center of your life or Christ maybe not even being a part of your life. I know that I have in my lifetime, I have. But he's always wooing us back to, to come back. We all have skeletons in our closets that want out. So people, it's time that we clean out our closets. Now, not like I'm doing right now for, for a couple of things. That's a closet in my house. But sometimes we need to clean them out. We're afraid to show people what's in our past, that people will not like us. People will be ashamed of us. Or more importantly, we are ashamed of ourselves when we know what's in those closets. But it's time to get this stuff out and get it in the past. And hopefully we will learn from the past and leave it in the past and move on with Jesus Christ to be a productive servant as Paul, as Paul was. Paul reminds us that we become useful. I remember back when I was real young. I didn't know I was so young, but I really was young. And my husband was in the military. And uh, we had had some deaths in our family, and it was a very grieving time. And, and we were being transferred, and I prayed for God to take us to the right church for our family, for our very young family. My husband had gone to church, and he's always said he was a professing Christian. But when we got to this church, he said, I, I'm just I'm kind of play acting. I'm not really in, in my faith. It's just not what I want it to be. So when he joined the church, he accepted Jesus Christ as his personal Savior, and that's the way he put it. He later became, it was in another denomination. He became Methodist, but uh, it was another denomination, and he became a Baptist deacon in the church as well. But I remember that time he, we joined the, he joined the church, and I was so proud, man. We were members of the church, and, and I'm just so happy. We were doing exactly what God wanted. Well, we went home, and we had our devotional time, and, and we were sitting in the living room. The kids were taking a nap. And he said, okay, it's time to, to sit down and do a budget and put our tithe in there. And I thought, whoa, uh, do we have to do this so quickly? Do we have to do this all at once? He said, yeah. I remember that very, very well. His convictions. I would do it. I gave money. But his conviction was now we are serving the Lord with all we are and all we who we are. We will put in our budget a tithe. And you know what I remember most about that conversation? Except the wonderful the wonderful relationship it developed between my husband, myself, and our God was a prayer that I prayed. I said, oh, dear God, please make the washing machine last. Nobody wants to live with little kids without a washing machine, right? But I remember that in that sense, turning it all over to him, not just in parts, but giving it all to him. I don't know what you have to turn over, if there's anything you have to turn over to God. 
All the things that we have come from God. Paul remembers the time that Christ captured his heart on the road to Damascus and he never forgot. Remember the time that you committed your life to Jesus Christ. Paul says that he acted in ignorance and unbelief. We don't have to act in ignorance and unbelief. It's all right here. The word of God. It's all right here. It tells us. We need to see transformed lives in Jesus and need to see his presence and at his feet, learning his ways and living the ways that he has called us to his disciples to be. You see, it cost Paul everything to follow Jesus Christ, to live in his presence daily. Has your faith cost you anything? Maybe it doesn't have to. But is there something in your life that's holding you back from being in complete service to God? It doesn't have to be monetary. Just willingness to let God do in your life what he wants to do. Not ordering God around and saying, this is what I want to do. Will you bless it? Because many times those things that God wants us to do, perhaps we had no idea. Our sin separates us from God. It makes God sad. I tell you that like I tell little children sometimes. It does make God sad to be separated. It makes God so sad for us to be separated from him. That is why he sent Jesus Christ to go through what he did. His gift to us to have true fellowship with us. Fellowship with Jesus Christ and the Father. Fellowship with each other. Maybe there's something you need to surrender to him today. May your faith have just been a roller coaster of faith. Maybe things have happened in your life you've lost faith. Maybe you've gotten it back again. Or maybe you just take your faith for granted. I don't know. That's between you and God. But maybe you would look at it. But maybe today you would recognize, if you have not already, and if you recognize as a renewal, that the power of Jesus Christ is what is in your life. That is, that's your batteries, people. That's your electricity. That's your power of what Jesus can do in your life. Can you imagine what Asbury would be if each of us did that, starting from all of us, our community, our world? We could not stop it. We have to die to self, though. And that has to happen daily. Because we are very selfish. But that's what Paul did. As Saul became Paul, he died to himself daily. So I ask you today.
I don't know what is standing in your way, if anything is, but your surrender to him to live your life to the fullest. In living your life to the fullest, giving it away in love to others, fellowship to others, in servanthood of Jesus Christ. I have a book here that Quiet Moments with God, and it's a, just a short devotions, and I keep it wherever I am, usually by my bed or my chair. And in the scripture here is, I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that I will, am able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day, Second Timothy 1, 12. It talks about, in the devotional, a tightrope trust. And, and the devotional takes place probably in, in the 19, 19th century. And whether you call his name Blondin or Blondine, it makes no difference. But he was a tightrope walker. And he decided that he was going to take a two-inch cable and walk across Niagara Falls. How many of you have been to Niagara Falls? Okay. Loud, right, George? Very loud. Very, very loud. Kind of, it's really awesome. Great. Once it was harnessed, great, one of the greatest sources of electricity that we have. I have no idea why anyone would want to take a two-inch cable and walk across Niagara Falls. But he did. And when he walked across Niagara Falls on it, everybody, yay, 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 go for it, go for it. So is it, do you believe that I can walk across Niagara Falls? With 180 pounds of sack of flour. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he did that. Oh, man, the people were just cheering. Boy, they were really getting on. I mean, just cheering him on and on. And then he said, do you all believe that I can cross this two-inch wire carrying a person? Yes, 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 go for it, go for it. And you know what's coming, don't you? Who will volunteer? Wow. Nothing could be heard but the falls. No one wanted to volunteer. They trusted that he could do it and said they had faith that he could do it. But they did not want to take the chance. Finally, his manager said, I will go across with you. And Blondine had some instructions for him. And he said, I will take you across, but you will be part of me. You cannot think on your own. You have to think like me. Because if you start thinking you have to turn another way, you will fall. You've got to think like me and let me do the thinking and let me get you across Otherwise, it's disastrous. We have got to become one. We've got to become one. So that's the way it is with Jesus Christ. We have to trust enough to let him carry us, to walk with us, but trust him enough that he knows better than we know what to do in our lives, in our servanthood, to serve him, to be the person 
that he intended us to be. Are you ready? Are you ready to let go? Are you ready to let go and let God? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.